The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. If you'd open your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 7, we're just plopping in to one place in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. One verse, in fact, as our church back home, we've been walking through the book of Matthew for the last two years. Uh, we're, still, we're still in it. Um, but we're going to just uh, jump into one verse that will be quite familiar, I'm sure, to most of you. Uh, and I'd like to maybe help us see how this verse not only functions in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, which is where it's found, but also how maybe uh, it can function a little bit more in our lives. So Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to be looking at verse 12, which many of us would know as the golden rule. Now, even if you've never opened a Bible in your life, you're probably familiar with the golden rule. You probably have heard these words or at least some version of it, something like it. Because this is one of those verses that I could walk into a Buddhist temple, a Hindu temple, an Islamic mosque, a public school. And I could read this verse and people would nod their heads. And they would get down with it. And I would be supported and I would be applauded and I would be invited back for more in any of those places. Everybody loves the golden rule, or they think they do. That's not to say everyone lives out the golden rule, but most religions, and even most people on this planet, affirm the idea that we should treat other people with something like the kind of treatment that we like to receive. But as popular as the golden rule might be, even in a culture like ours, Jesus' words in Matthew 7, 12, when they're rightly understood, they're actually profoundly countercultural and profoundly Christian. So here are these familiar words of Jesus, Matthew 7, verse 12. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Father in heaven, bless these moments we spend meditating on your word. Would you use them to conform us more into the likeness of our Lord Jesus? Amen. So our goal, of course, is not just to understand these words better, but to live these words better, right? But Jesus himself said many times, we're, we're blessed if we do what he says, not just if we hear what he says. But the doing, the doing will start in about 30 minutes when you get up out of your chairs and go, I come down from here and go. That's when the doing starts. But for now, let's just spend a few minutes meditating on these words together, thinking about their implications for our lives, repent as the Holy Spirit brings conviction, and then resolve by grace to take these words with us and live more in line with them. So let's lean into this a little bit together. This is the law of the kingdom of heaven. 
let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is a prayer that is answered as we live out these words. Your decisions, your relationships, your seemingly insignificant moments of love and sacrifice are precisely the things that God is using to infiltrate this world with his kingdom. So let's chew on these words together for a few minutes for the sake of Christ and his kingdom advancing. And I want us to make four observations about this one verse to help us do that. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets, the golden rule. Four observations about this most golden of rules, and I believe they will show up above my head. Observation number one is that it's comprehensive, not selective. Notice what Jesus says. So whatever you wish that others would do to you. That's how the English Standard Version translates the original Greek The New International Version translates it this way. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. And then the old King James Version is a little clunkier, but probably gets closest to the actual emphasis of the original words. And it says, therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you. Dot, dot, dot. All things whatsoever. That's comprehensive. All things whatsoever that you wish others would do to you, do also to them. I hope you still have your Bibles open because I want to look at how this verse fits into the overall structure of the Sermon on the Mount that runs from chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew. You'll find people that can slice it up a little differently, but here's a pretty widely agreed upon outline of Jesus' sermon. And I think this might show up in a slide as well. So there's the introduction that is chapter 5, and it goes from verse 3 to verse 16. It's kind of the introduction to his sermon. It includes the Beatitudes, a brief introductory, uh, several brief introductory statements about how God's people are to function in the world. That's the introduction. Then is the body, the big section. That starts in verse uh, chapter 5, verse 17, and goes all the way to 712, our verse end of body section is 712. That contains all the ethical teachings in the sermon about kingdom living in this world. And then the conclusion of the sermon is 713 through 27 that ends with some pretty stark warnings. But notice how the golden rule functions in Jesus' sermon. It caps the body section of the sermon. And this pops maybe a little bit more when you read it alongside the opening verse of the body section, which is 517, it says this. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That's the first line of the body. And then, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. That's the last line. Do you see that? Law and prophets frames the body of the sermon. And by law and prophets, Jesus means the entirety of what we call the Old Testament, all the scripture that had been written before Jesus was born. Jesus set out to explain that he hasn't come to do away with the Old Testament, 
He hasn't come to do away with the law and prophets, but to uphold it and to fulfill it and to promote a righteousness that far exceeds the righteousness of the religious leaders of his day. And then everything between 517 and the golden rule in 712, Jesus lays out some specifics of what that might look like in real life. So the golden rule is a summary statement of all the things he's been saying about how we're supposed to treat each other. From do not get angry and insult your brother, back in chapter five, all the way to take the tree out of your eye, before you try taking the splinter out of somebody else's eye in chapter seven. And because Jesus can't possibly go through every possible life scenario and tell us how we're supposed to respond, he brilliantly shrinks it down to one sentence that covers it all. And he says, all things whatsoever that you wish others would do to you, do that to them. In other words, You know that way you like being treated? Kindly, gently, patiently, thoughtfully, graciously. Yeah, that's the way other people want to be treated too. Go do that. This is God's brilliant way of helping self-obsessed people understand how we're supposed to treat other people. It goes way further back than the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus didn't make this up that day. It goes all the way back to the book of Leviticus when God was laying down the law for the Israelites, for his people, and he said, love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19.18. So the invitation here is think about all the wonderful ways that you like to be treated, all the things you appreciate and sometimes insist on, and do them for others. Consider every set of circumstances, every possible occasion. Dream up what would be not just tolerable, but delightful treatment from other people. What would make you feel most loved, most appreciated, most respected, most valued? And now you've got your game plan for how to go treat other people. Leave no stone unturned. You have never complained. I don't know you, but I know this about you. You have never complained about being dealt with too patiently or too gently or too graciously or too generously. You have never complained about being treated too well, been felt too delighted in, too thoughtfully cared for. So Jesus says, go give them the royal treatment that your highness finds so agreeable for one such as yourself. And as I studied this passage, I spent some time thinking about my own royal highness, as this golden rule so kindly invites us to do. And I made a list. I made myself put down on paper some ways that I wish others would treat me. I think writing it down actually helped me think of how to treat others. I won't make you share your list in front of the whole church, but I'd like to share mine in case our paths ever cross again and you want to make my day. (laughs) Just kidding. But you might want to try this yourself. My list could be quite long, but I narrowed it down to something like my top 10, okay? So I like when people, number one, encourage me. I like, number two, 
when people take interest in me, like actually take time to know me, think about me. Number three, I like when people help me, when they anticipate my needs, when they understand my weaknesses. I like when people are patient with me, kind, gentle, understanding. I like when people are truthful with me. Number six, I like when people forgive me, lovingly correct me, mercifully overlook small things. Number seven, I like when people are gracious towards me. They assume the best about me instead of the worst. Number eight, I like when people appreciate me. Number nine, I like when people stick by me or loyal, faithful friends. Number 10, I like when people pray for me. You're welcome to have your own list, but I'm guessing that you also like a lot of the things on my list, so feel free to cheat and steal some of mine. But I've found this practice actually very helpful in giving me a concrete place to start when it comes to taking Jesus' word seriously. According to Jesus, I shouldn't just pick one or two of the most convenient things off my list to do to others. It's comprehensive. All of it. All things whatsoever, he says. Not selective. The royal treatment. That's the first observation. Let's move on. Golden rule, observation number two. It's proactive, not passive. All things whatsoever that you wish others would do to you, do also to them. Now, I mentioned that most religions in the world nod their heads to the golden rule, which I'm not mad about. But it's worth noting the difference in what Jesus is calling his followers to do versus what most other people are satisfied with. And here's a few examples I think that will be notes for you. Buddhism teaches this, and I'm taking quotes here from their holy writings. Buddhism teaches, hurt not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. Confucianism is similar. Do not do to others what you do not want them to do to you. Hinduism teaches, this is the sum of duty. Do not do to others what would cause pain if done to you. And humanism says, don't do things you wouldn't want to have done to you. All of them are stated in the negative. Your duty is simply not to do bad stuff to people. Islam teaches this, none of you truly believes until he wishes for his brother what he wishes for himself. Again, I'm all for this. Don't do bad, hurtful things to people. Wish good for other people. Jesus certainly agreed with all that, but he calls his disciples too much more than that. Not merely don't do bad, but a very positive and proactive do good. Not merely a passive wish good things for other people, but a very active do good things for other people. Not I hope things go well for you, but I'm going to contribute to things going well for you. 
We have an initiative-taking God. Not a God who sits back and says, good luck. Not a God who says, I hope all goes well. I wish you the best. Not a God who says, I won't be mean to you if you're not mean to me. We have a God who says to his people things like this. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. We have a God who being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. We have a God who shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We have an initiative-taking, proactive God who does active good to his people, not because they deserve it, not because they did good to him first, but because that's the kind of God he is. And as his children, we get to follow him and reflect him by being initiative-taking do-gooders. Not waiting around for someone to tell us what they want or need. Not waiting around for someone to do something kind or helpful to us first. But starting with what we know about ourselves in our intense commitment to self-love, self-care, self-preservation, and then turning that around to take the same initiative for the good of others. Jesus is calling us to a proactive lifestyle of doing good to the people around us. That's the second observation. Let's keep moving. Golden rule, observation number three. It's grounded in your relationship with God. This is not karma. This is not what goes around comes around. Our reason for doing to others what we wish they do to us is not so that they'll do it to us. We're not trying to manipulate people into being nice to us. We're not trying to make sure the stars align so our lives go well. We're not even just doing it because it's the right human thing to do. Our reason as followers of Jesus for taking his words seriously and seeking to live them out every day is rooted and grounded in our pre-existing relationship with God. Look back at Jesus' words again, verse 12. Starts with the word so. Could just as easily be translated therefore. So, therefore, whatever you wish to, that others would do to you, do also to them. It's a command grounded in a therefore. That means it flows out of something, right? So, what does it flow out of? Well, we want to know what. 712 therefore flows out of we should look at what comes right before that which if you just look back at verse at chapter 7 verses 1 uh, uh, verses 7 through 11 right before the golden rule it, it talks about the heart of our heavenly father who delights in doing good to his children we're encouraged in verses 7 through 11 to ask, seek, and knock when we're in need because God is for us and because he's committed to giving us the good that we need. Does that confidence give us enough, therefore, to do good to other people? Certainly should. 
Because you have a father in heaven who's committed to your good, you're free as free can be to busy yourself doing as much good to others as you possibly can. The royal treatment. You can obey the golden rule because of the stability and provision of your relationship with God. You have no need to manipulate and you have nothing to fear. You will lack nothing that you need because your father is God for a living. All powerful, all loving, all owning, all knowing, all wise, all generous, all good, all the time. That's your father. Go spoil other people. You're gonna be okay. If our only hope in doing good to others was that it would, fingers crossed, come back around to us, i.e. karma, I don't think I'd have the strength to follow through. Doesn't surprise me that the world loves the idea of the golden rule, but doesn't have the courage to live it out. They have no confidence. It's grounded in a flimsy, whimsical fancy. It's grounded in the hope that other messed up, selfish people like me are gonna return the favor. I don't blame people whose father is not God for not living this way. I don't blame people who don't have our promises, our assurances, our relationship with God, the God of the universe. I don't blame them for settling for a selective, passive version of the golden rule. I don't blame them. But I do question us, Christians, those with the promises, those with the relationship. I do question us if we don't live out this most golden of rules with all our might. What more could he say than to us he has said? What further confidence could we possibly need that we're really gonna be okay if we live all out for others? If God is our father, we're going to be okay. We were made for this. If God is your father, because Jesus is your Lord, you are perfectly equipped and positioned to give the people around you the royal treatment. I'm gonna say that again. If God is your father, because Jesus is your Lord, you are perfectly equipped and positioned to give the people around you the royal treatment. The people who are in your life are there on purpose. The needs of the people in your life are there on purpose. The weaknesses of the people in your life are there on purpose. And you can either ignore it Complain about it, sell your house and move away from it. Or you can turn your ear to Jesus, receive his perfect game plan for your life 
lean into the stability of your relationship with God Almighty and get busy doing for others all things whatsoever that you wish they would do to you. No one is better positioned than you to do the particular, to do good to the particular collection of people in your life. No one's better positioned than you are. God knows what he's doing. To take it a step further, the reason Jesus gives for obeying the golden rule is found in the last few words. For this is the law and the prophets. Jesus is basing the logic or the rationale behind treating others how you want to be treated in the entire Old Testament. God's revealed word to his covenant people. He says, everything the Father has spoken to you all along is summed up right here. Or as Paul will write later in Galatians 5.14, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is no new command Jesus gives this day. He says, this is what the Father has said to you all along. Treat others the way you like being treated. This is what it means to be be the people of God. It always has and it always will. Anyone in the world can take the golden rule to heart, and I hope they do. But for Christians, this is our spiritual DNA. Golden rule, observation number one, it's comprehensive. Observation number two, it's proactive. Observation number three, it's grounded in your relationship with God. One more, observation number four, it's what Jesus did for you. This is what Jesus did for us. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law and prophets. He came to fulfill them. Fulfill entails not only completion, but also embodiment. Jesus didn't just come to endorse God's commandments. He came to perfectly live them out. Jesus has without a doubt treated you the way you want to be treated. He didn't just selectively choose one or two ways to do a little bit of good to you. He comprehensively did all that was necessary to solve your greatest problem and secure your eternal joy. Jesus didn't just passively sit back and wish good things for your life or restrain himself from being mean to you. He proactively came to seek and save you when you were lost. He took the initiative to reconcile you to God by giving his life for you while you were still his enemy. Jesus didn't just move towards you dutifully or motivated by self-interest, hoping that what goes around comes around. He loved you and gave himself for you from the outflow of his unshakable relationship with his father, in perfect harmony with the will of his father, in order to introduce you to his father, welcome you into his family, 
and give you a share of his own inheritance for all time. Who has treated you better than Jesus has treated you? Who has earned the right to speak into your life and command you to do the same for others? Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you, Jesus told his disciples. There's no more fitting place to end a meditation on the golden rule than at the foot of the cross where Jesus held nothing back in his commitment to our eternal good. We know that though these words carry a command for us, the heart of the gospel is not what we're supposed to do for God. It's what he's already done for us. So we receive the commands of Jesus But our hope is not grounded in our ability to obey. Our hope is grounded in his obedience. And our obedience flows out of our glad-hearted, mind-blown gratefulness to the Lord Jesus who accomplished everything on our behalf. He's our Lord. He's our King. How could we not take his words seriously? If you've been listening to me this morning and you consider yourself pro-golden rule, you're all about treating other people well. Maybe you even consider yourself pro-Jesus who seemed to teach some pretty right-on things. But when it comes to the idea of being a Christian, you want nothing to do with that because you've seen too many people who call themselves Christians who don't take Jesus' words seriously. I want you to hear me say, I understand you. There's a lot of religious hypocrisy out there. Sadly, sometimes in here as well. By in here, I don't mean this particular church, but the church. If you would keep reading the gospel of Matthew, you'd find that Jesus hates religious hypocrisy people who say one thing and then do something different. But just as the existence of counterfeit money doesn't prove there's no such thing as real money, so too the existence of counterfeit Christianity does not prove there's no such thing as real Christianity. What I'm saying is, Don't let the wrong people turn you off from the right Savior. Jesus is as good as he sounds and better still. And he invites all of us, selfish, sinful, hypocritical, apathetic. He invites everyone to turn from whatever direction we're going to come instead to him, to bring him our hearts, to trust him with our lives, and to find that he alone can satisfy thirsty souls. If I happen to be talking to you today, this could be the most important day of your life. But for all of us 
who have to grapple with these words of Jesus, this golden rule. Let's close by praying together for strength to live our lives in closer alignment with the words of Jesus and the heart of our Father. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Father, for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to meditate for a few minutes together on these things. Thank you, Father, for giving us your son, the fulfillment and embodiment of these words. Lord Jesus, we proclaim you as king. Thank you for the love that you showed for us in treating us the way we wanted to be treated, doing everything necessary for our eternal good. And now as your people, we pray for strength, Spirit of God, to walk out of here and to take these words a little bit more seriously. I pray even just for specific steps for each of us. We're simple people most of the time. Just some very simple steps to take this afternoon to walk more in alignment with your heart here. We look forward to the day where we're with you, Jesus. May we live every day with that day in view. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.